I'm Brian Lee, one of the content creators for the UAMS Institute for Digital Health and Innovation and the South Central Telehealth Resource Center. Welcome to Telehealth Talk. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Amit Sachdev and Dr. Curtis Lowry over the usefulness of telehealth and digital health during the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Sachdev is a physician, most recently at the Brigham and Women's Hospital at the Harvard Medical School, and he is currently working on the COVID response. Dr. Curtis Lowry is the director of the UAMS Institute for Digital Health and Innovation. He also serves as a professor for the UAMS Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Let's continue the conversation. How has telehealth policy changed during the pandemic? That's Dr. Amit Sachdev. There's been a significant uh, change in healthcare delivery, allowing any kind of video conferencing technology to be used to deliver healthcare. That's Dr. Curtis Lowry. That was really not appropriate prior to um, the COVID crisis. Right now, it's uh, the patients are so isolated and healthcare is so disrupted. Then during this period of time, we deemed it uh, appropriate to do that. Likewise, we sort of redefined uh, prior to this, the definitions for which um, you could get paid for delivering health care has now been opened up in a, in a big way. Rurality used to be a big consideration, particularly for Medicare, as to who, what would be paid for in a health care delivery. Now, essentially, any video conferencing that's done for health care delivery during this period of time will be paid for by most payers um, as a result of this. The DEA will allow for uh, narcotic prescriptions to be done over video conferencing, and this was not true prior to the uh, COVID uh, crisis. So um, just because uh, the need to do these sort of things are so necessary during the isolation of the uh, the COVID-19 crisis. Has HIPAA changed at all? Yeah, HIPAA's been waived during this period of time. It was so important to deliver healthcare over these technologies. HIPAA's been waived. It is likely that after the crisis is over with, then the non-HIPAA compliant devices will no longer be allowed. Are there other changes that will happen when the pandemic is over? Well, it's unclear um, if some of the uh, billing practices will change, or some of the definitions of what's rule and not rule under the uh, Medicare definitions. But I think um, uh, state licensing across states, I mean, all these things are going to be looked at as a result of sort of this disruption of healthcare delivery. And we may see some dramatic sweeping changes in the way we practice medicine in America as a result of this um, this process, but until we get over the crisis, it's it's impossible to predict how these things are going to you know go down the road. But in general, I think this uh, crisis has really opened up the use of these technologies to d- deliver healthcare in a larger, bigger way than we've ever seen before. Has there been any other big shifts in telehealth during the COVID nineteen pandemic? Well, I. I think that just the rate of deployment has dramatically changed. People went from maybe never doing telemedicine or one or two um, sessions a, a week to, you know, four or five, ten sessions a day. 
so the uptake has just been huge. We've also begun to explore the use of techn this technology in new ways. Um, today I had a call with hospice groups in the state of Arkansas and hospice programs are looking to uh, provide uh, some of their care to the hospice programs using video technology. And I don't think they ever really thought about this prior to this. So many groups are now exploring the possibility outside the traditional healthcare model to deliver health healthcare or clinical interventions using these technologies. What advice would you give to somebody who's never done telemedicine before, as now is being forced to use telemedicine during the COVID-19 response? It's important to find clinicians and healthcare delivery systems that are using the technology. Companies can give you good advice, but companies are trying to sell technology to you. And they're, they're beneficial when you've decided, of course, what product you're going to use. But I think um, it's better to go and um, talk to people in the healthcare, healthcare providers that are doing telehealth. I mean, we have a lot of people that come into Arkansas and ask us about what we're using, how we're doing it. And I think that's a, that's a really good find a group that's actively doing telehealth and talk to those guys and get advice from them and not just um, fall victim to companies that are trying to sell products during this crisis. What are the best resources that are available for practitioners to use that are produced by the Department of Health and Human Services? Well, um, the, the um, HRSA has provided um, learning groups around the telehealth resource centers around the nation that have been funded. These centers um, provide um, meaningful, objective uh, education and training for practitioners. We have one in Arkansas, but there are 12 around the nation that are able to do that. Uh, we can link to some of those telehealth resource centers um, that practitioners can go and, and learn and the American Telemedicine Association has some information about telehealth, and many groups in subspecialty areas are now actively involved in producing advice and education materials for healthcare providers. Um, uh, the American Medical Association producing uh, guidelines and protocols for uh, telehealth de healthcare delivery, as are most subspecialty groups around the nation. So it's gone from um, people with limited limited access to education to now almost every group, every subspecialty group, training group in America beginning to provide um, evidence. And much of this work has been supported by HHS during, during the years prior. So um, there's a lot of information around available practitioners today. So for a lot of practitioners that have not used telehealth before, they're a little bit reluctant to get started. They're a little bit uh, overwhelmed with a large amount of information. Where would you direct these practitioners? Like I said, um, the American Medical Association has some information on this. Also, the subspecialty groups all have access to information now. So it, these are trusted res resources that can direct the practitioners to the meaningful information to learn about these things. Also, likely somebody in your state 
is doing telehealth right now. And often uh, those resource centers will be able to advise you and help you, you know, get involved in it. The best thing to do is, is talk to somebody that's already actively doing it, and then they'll help you get started. And it's not as hard as it used to be. I mean, the technologies have evolved now so that uh, almost all practitioners, you know, have done, you know, YouTube and watched you know, internet videos. I mean, and so they're already, you know, way down the road than go back 10 years or 15 years when it was a rarity for any of those things to happen. So you're, you're, you already have in your hands tools that would allow you to do this. You just have to get advice about how to set it up so that you can link to the patients and how the patients can link to you. And I think that's where you need to look for local resources and national resources capable of, of advising you how to get started. So it seems like the uh, Health and Human Services funded telehealth resource centers are a really great resource that providers and clinicians can use, as well as uh, practitioners in your state that are currently using telehealth. And those are two resources that I think all practitioners should reach out to. Let's keep the conversation going. You can find and follow us on Twitter at Learn Telehealth, on Facebook, same name, Learn Telehealth. And you can always leave us an email at info at learntelehealth.org. Thanks for listening. This podcast was made possible by grant number G22RH30361 from the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth in the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy of the Health Resources and Services Administration.